This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today's episode is a rebroadcast of a classic episode with Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes. Please enjoy. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes. Clarissa Pincola Estes is an internationally recognized scholar, award-winning poet, diplomat, senior Jungian psychoanalyst, and contadora keeper of the old stories in the Latina tradition. She is the author of the international bestseller, Women Who Run With the Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype, along with over a dozen audio programs from Sounds True, including a new five-volume series on the dangerous old woman, Myths and Stories of the Wise Woman Archetype. And now, brand new, Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes has released a book from Sounds True and an accompanying four-session audio series called Untie the Strong Woman, Blessed Mother's Immaculate Love for the Wild Soul. This is a book of stories, prayers, blessings, and original artwork bringing to life the Blessed Mother. With Untie the Strong Woman, Dr. Estes invites you to encounter the force of immaculate love, quote, so that your memory of her is renewed, or so that the knowledge of her miraculous, fierce, enduring ways is drawn into your heart for the very first time. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, CPE, as I refer to Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes, someone I have known for over two decades, CPE and I spoke about different manifestations of the Holy Mother and how she is ultimately beyond representation. We also spoke about CPE's own first experience with a visitation from the Holy Mother and how our relationship with our own biological mother affects how we relate to this great mother force. We also spoke about the relationship between the archetype of the wild woman, the wise woman, and the holy woman. And finally, what it means to live with, quote-unquote, an unruined heart. Here's my conversation with Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes on Untie the Strong Woman. CPE, when you speak and write about the Blessed Mother, you speak about her as both a presence, a real, felt, palpable, living presence, and also as an archetype, as a, as a symbol, both. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about this, how the Blessed Mother is both 
an archetype, what that means, as well as a real living presence? Archetype is uh, an enormous force that we are susceptible to feeling, seeing, sensing, hearing, but it's irrepresentable as itself because it's beyond our ability to capture horizon to horizon of the universe. And a representations, though, are what we can understand. And so the archetype of Holy Mother, Blessed Mother, the Great Mother, uh, comes to us in symbology, in symbols, as the great woman who, for instance, is called the Tower of Ivory, or she's called the Black Madonna, or she's called by various people who see her in various ways, uh, symbolically. The greater spirit of the archetype actually stands behind the archetypal representation, and it's enormous. And we here on earth, who are part angelic blood, certainly, part divine, and, and but fully human, we can sense, feel, see, hear aspects of that huge spirit emanating through symbolically in images, ideas, songs, music, dance, and so on, that, that appears to us to come right up to us and to emanate sometimes toward us, but often even through us. So the difference is archetype is a representation of something irrepresentable. The great mother, a holy mother, is irrepresentable in her magnitude. And the actual experiences of holy mother are what we can experience of that greater magnitude in ways that we can understand, that we can digest. I've often thought of Moses as uh, after seeing Creator revealed to him, uh, he had uh, asked, begged to please see God. And Creator had said to him, uh, no, this can't happen. Uh, you're only a human. I... I would destroy you if you could see me in my magnitude. And Moses begged and begged, and finally Creator picked him up in the palm of his hand and put him in a crevasse in the rock to protect him. And he said, uh, I will pass by and let my shadow fall upon you. Uh, when he did, afterward, Moses' hair turned white, and he ran into the desert ranting like a madman for many days and many nights after having even had a glimpse of the shadow of the magnitude. So our representations tend to be, in our experiences of Blessed Mother in apparitions and visitations, tend to be the ones that truly uh, open our minds and our hearts, truly may, in a sense, blow our minds, as it used to be said, but that we can comprehend and we can understand without becoming completely undone. So in a sense, the Blessed Mother is beyond any singular representation, although there are lots of different representations. But what I'm curious about is in all of the different images and symbols, is there some common energetic signature, if you will, where you go, oh, that's, that's the Blessed Mother? Holy Mother protects life. Holy Mother is there when... Life runs out. Holy Mother is there 
when life burgeons, Holy Mother is concerned with love and with life. Well, as Rabbi Zalman Schachter says, we've had enough of the rebuke of the father, and it is now time for the love of the mother. And it, the characteristic of the mother archetype is one of creation uh, in the sense of incubation, in the sense of growing something quietly into its great strength and fruition and giving birth to it, bringing it into manifest reality, into the world, and then nurturing it, protecting it, teaching it, caring for it, nourishing it, and helping it in every way to live fully alive and in a state of love for others, but also a state of love that comes from one greater than oneself. So Holy Mother is characterized by the conditions that you would find in a good mother on earth, but it has even more magnitude than that. When she is near, uh, people report feeling comforted to the depths of their being. They report often feeling healed of emotional uncalm. They report feeling as though a hand, warm hand, is placed over their heart. And the loneliness that they were feeling that has caused such depression in them is healed and taken away. So when the mother is near, people feel love and are filled with love. And the Holy Mother is near. Life is valued. And even in the dying, life to the very last moment is still valued. Now, I want to see if I can get a better understanding of your sense of, you ready for this? Just your, your sense of divinity, this force beyond representation as a whole. Do you have the sense that there's a masculine holy force as well as this feminine force that you're describing as the Holy Mother? I have to tell you, honestly, um, my brain is too small, truly, to comprehend the magnitudes. What I am aware of, though, as in many of my patients, my colleagues, my friends, and my family and myself, is that like a tuning fork can tune itself to a certain tone. Many of us are tuned to the idea of the magnitude as holy woman. And we see it, feel it, smell it, know it when we know it. I'm not sure that there aren't other ways of seeing, being with the magnitude, but also have a sense that this aspect of magnitude chooses us, as well as that we're tuned to her as well. And it's meaningful to us beyond meaningful. It is not a simple endeavor of uh, hyper-fascination or, uh, oh, isn't that interesting? It is necessary and necessary in the way that water is necessary, that air is necessary to the soul. You know that I have said it many times. The soul in our world is the most endangered species of all the species, in part because so many avenues. Holy Mother is left out entirely. Conversation in the boardroom, in invention, in creation, in commercial endeavors, in private endeavors, in family life, in creative life. And she is creator. She is creative. She takes 
the very tiny and nourishes it and brings it to life. So my understanding is in a way not a full understanding. It is only the understanding I'm capable of. And I perceive Holy Mother everywhere. I perceive her love as enormous and unending for everyone. You say that she's left out of our family life often or our corporate life often or our community life. So what would it mean to put Holy Mother at the center of these aspects of our life? What would that actually look like? I think uh, several things, depending on how she appears to each individual who's in those lives. But I think most certainly you will find her wherever. Let me, let me say in a different way. Let me say how you will not find her. You will not find her in a family, corporation, endeavor, uh, unit, uh, group that will not allow that the tiny ideas, hopes, dreams have potential. That everything has to be a fait accompli or else it dies. It's kicked out. It's aborted. That in a corporation or a family where people are not allowed to grow and develop from embryonic state forward, where it said, no, that's a bad idea. They don't even know what it's going to look like yet, especially if it is inflamed with the love of the Holy Mother. And so they reject it out of hand. That's one way. Another way is, in a very personal way for human beings, is to reject the charisms or the gifts that we've been given, that we bring to earth here, and to say instead, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not ready enough, it's not time enough, I have to wait until I'm perfected or more perfected or more healed or perfectly healed or whatever it is. And you know Holy Mother is not there because she is the one who will guard the wound and help the healing and strengthen the person till they can dance right now, every day. So when people reject out of hand the charisms, the gifts that are spiritual gifts that they brought to earth for good reason, you also find some absence of Holy Mother. She is exemplar, is how I would put it. How she is, we can be in human form. And she sets the drumbeat. She sets the patterns for what it means to mother what it means to care for, what it means to bring things to true life, true fruition, creatively, psychologically, sexually, in every way you can imagine a human being can be a full human being. When she is present, she will help because you will be copying, in a sense, all of her life stories. And there are many, many throughout the world. The Catholics have been probably the most proficient at preserving many of her stories about the way that she has manifested on earth. But the Muslims have their story about Holy Mother, Holy Mary. The people who have ideas in Asia about Holy Mother call her Quanan or Kuan Yin. She's called by a million names by six billion people. And she is everything that people say that she is, particularly in her protective, burgeoning, life-giving, and life-sparing presence. In these appearances that you're describing, whether it's as Kuan Yin or Mary, the Black Madonna, what do you think's actually going on in a sighting, a Marian sighting? 
I think the worlds leak. I think that between this world and other worlds, there are canals, pathways, underground, overland, and that a certain moment in time, I think emotionally, can cause leaking between the worlds or a sudden bridge to erupt from one world to another. For instance, Mother Mary often appears to people when they're heartbroken. They feel a nudge at their shoulder. They see something in the sky. They, a bird comes to their window. A little ladybug lands on their hand. Something happens. A cloud comes by in a certain shape. And for a moment, everything stops, and they realize they're thinking, feeling, seeing, hearing, sensing in a world that is not this world only. It's somehow other, and that the other presence that's here is not from this world alone. It's an emanation that comes from we don't know where. We can only give names like archetypes and the magnitude that stands behind the archetypes or the spirit that stands behind the symbol and so in and so forth. So as I understand it, Holy Mother exists everywhere, all at the same time, that she is at the center of every heart that is a heart, she's at the center of every soul that's a soul, and that she is larger than any, any number of souls that one could possibly put together. And that as your tuning of your senses is sharpened, as your ability to ask, to see, to hear, to feel, to know more than just yourself of the magnitude that is useful and good and holy, that you will find yourself having more dreams of Holy Mother. You'll find yourself having more experiences symbolically of Holy Mother and actual, sometimes, apparitions of Holy Mother. Now this is more of a personal question, but are you willing to share with us your own meetings? Maybe the first time you met Holy Mother or there was an appearance and it was incontrovertible for you? I think, oh, I'm always happy to share. You know, it, it took me years to bind together my courage bones to write this book, Untie the Strong Woman. And the reason I wrote, finally, after all these years, about my personal experiences, but also my experiences with other people who have a devotion to Holy Mother and who have apparitions and visitations and who listen and hear her, see her, smell her sometimes, she has fragrances that are associated with her, is because I saw the loneliness of the people in the world more and more and more and more, year after year, decade after decade, for Mother, for Holy Mother. And I also saw people, in a sense, if I could put it, you know, like the song goes, to be paraphrased, looking for Holy Mother in all the wrong places, meaning putting faith in things that are faithless, putting hope in things that are not going to be loyal to you in terms of nourishing you and caring about you. And so I wrote this book, and I felt as I wrote it, also with your encouragement, Tammy, that the truth has to be told about what one's experiences are, that we cannot fear that people think that we are fatuous or that we are um, in some way not seeing, thinking, hearing clearly, that in fact 
we are hearing clearly, we are seeing clearly, and it needs to be said that the human mind, soul, spirit, body, and heart are capable of walking in more than one world, and more than one world at a time. So, yes, I write deeply in this book and also in the audio Untie the Strong Woman, the series, I talk about personal experiences with Blessed Mother. The earliest one that I know of that I had was as a child. And we had gone to Lake Michigan uh, to try out a new used car that one of my relatives had gotten a hold of. And no one had a car, so it was a really big excursion. So we all piled into the car. I, I think the car maybe was made for six people, and there probably were at least three times that many people, aunts and uncles, fat, short, thin, mustachioed, and... That was just the women. No, I'm just kidding. That was a man. <laughs> and they're wearing their hats and their big coats, and it was winter time. And so we went, and there was the Great Lake. And uh, my relatives became occupied with laughing and talking and, and drinking. And I slipped away, a little girl, um, four years old, maybe five years old, going down long, steep steps all the way down to the beach, and I saw far out in the water what looked like the kind of lace that my grandmothers made by hand with the beautiful openings in the lace. And then I saw what looked like a beautiful woman against the sunset in red and yellow. And I wanted to go out into the water to see her. And I thought maybe she was making lace out there. And and so I ran into the water in my long, long hand-me-down winter coat that was so full and heavy and my big rubber galoshes with the buckles on them. And the, I ran into the water and the water immediately filled my boots and made everything so heavy that I was falling over and I couldn't find the bottom where I was. And I, I saw the lady and she started running toward me holding her hands out in front of her, saying, run away, run up the beach, run, run. And I thought we were playing a game, and I slogged until I could turn around and face the beach again, and I started trying to run in my big heavy boots and my wet, wet heavy coat that was dragging me down into the water. And I fell several times and couldn't find the bottom with my little hands, and she kept going, run, run, and I look over my shoulder and she's holding her hands out like to fluff gooses on their way, you know, the geese making them go on their way. And finally I got all the way up onto the beach and stampeding down the stairs where my relatives, they were calling, yes, 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 come to us, come to us, come to us. And the minute that they got a hold of me, man. They grabbed me up under their arms, you know, got hit so hard. I mean, I was almost into the next world. And they carried me up the steps under my arms, and I could still see the lady. And I was holding out my hands to her. I wanted her. I wanted to be with her. First, I wanted to be with her because I wanted to see her beautiful handiwork. Then I wanted to be with her to save me from my own relatives. And, uh, taken all the way up the stairs and uh, thrown into the back seat of the car and stripped of my clothing, which was soaking wet, and an old army blanket that smelled like motor oil put around me. And my relative saying, 
Hey, did you do that? And I told them, There's, there was a lady, a lady, a beautiful lady. And, and they said, there's no lady, no lady, no lady, there's no lady. Stop telling lies or else you'll get it worse. And so I learned not to say what I had seen. And they said, well, it's a lighthouse out there on the jetty. They said, that's what you saw, that's the lighthouse. You didn't see no lady. And uh, there was a lighthouse, and it was red, and it was out on the jetty, and it did not look anything like Our Lady whatsoever. I knew. I knew I had seen the beautiful woman. I knew it. I knew it, and I knew it. And uh, as I wrote in the book, and as I say in the audio series, Untie the Strong Woman, I saw her, and more importantly, she saw me. And as a child, what did you make of that experience? I mean, how, how did you either make sense of it or not make sense of it? Where did it fit in your world? I felt such overwhelming love from her, uh, a child who was not cared for, let me put it that way, that I had never, I don't remember ever before that ever feeling the immense power of complete and pure love in my entire life. And I wanted her. I wanted to see her again. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to look for her. And then, within a very short amount of time after that, I went to kindergarten. And in kindergarten, at Catholic school, I had a nun, Sister St. Bridget. She said, darling nun. She, I bet she wasn't five feet tall. She was very little like us. And the, there was in the school a statue of the woman and they told us that she appeared everywhere. And in my heart was a great big thud, like a, like a truth had suddenly settled straight into my heart that said, oh, they are the same. They are the same. And I felt like I knew. And because I went to Catholic school, we were consecrated to Holy Mother at age six, which was maybe first grade or thereabouts. Uh, we took vows to her, and we prayed to her, and we were taught devotions. We taught all of her songs. I mean, there probably no 50 songs to Maria, Mary, Miriam, Holy Mother. We made processions for her. We grew flowers just for her, great big chrysanthemums and huge dahlias and wonderful lilacs, and we carried them in the May procession just for her, a whole month of devotion just to her. We were little girls, you know, in white dirty socks and you know, funny brown shoes, devoted to Holy Mother. And a child, I think, understands Holy Mother completely. There are no uh, reasons to have to explain anything because she is love. Love and more love and more love. Complete love. Now, I, I need to ask this question, so you'll, you'll have to bear with me, which is, if someone's listening who has a, let's say, rationalist bent, and the thought is, as a symbol of pure, immaculate love, the Holy Mother is a beautiful image and symbol that evokes this in us. But the idea that there's a leak between some other world and some 
actual forces manifesting, uh, that's where the rational mind just kind of gives up and can't really follow what you're saying. I think it can, but I think parallels have to be drawn. Um, my patients over the 41 years that I've been practicing clinically, the probably a good half of them are what in Jungian psychoanalysis we call thinking types as opposed to intuitive types or feeling types or sensate types of persons. And uh, people who are thinking types are in no way set aside from the realm of magic and beauty. And that's her channel. If there's a channel on a television set and there's a factual channel of news, which as you know, the most you could ever hope for is being fair rather than being entirely factual. Uh, there is a channel for beauty and truth and uh, magic. So with people who uh, have as their main gift linear thinking, for instance, usually all I have to do is ask how they felt when they saw their first child born or when the child was born, if the child had difficulties, how they leapt to protect that child, how they almost turned themselves inside out, would have done anything, including die for that child. Ask them how much they loved their buddy in the Marines that they would have given their lives for. And when I ask, they enter immediately the other world, which is a world that is not based on fact. It's based on love. It's based on such love of devotion that it actually defies trying to define it in a linear manner. And they understand too. Everyone has their way in to understanding. They're just different ways. As someone who's not very familiar with Catholicism, I'm curious how the Holy Mother, the Blessed Mother that you met within the Catholic Church jibes or doesn't jibe with your current understanding of the Holy Mother? I think that culturally, uh, you know, there's the overculture in the church as well as in society, and there has been an overculture in the church for a long time that has said that if you're going to have a devotion or, or a experience, it has to be this way, this way, this way, and this way, but not that way, that way, that way, or that way. And, uh, that's a too narrow a door, an aperture to pass through. In fact, I'm not sure many can pass through it. Holy Mother, thankfully, <laughs> doesn't use doors, <laughs> doesn't use doorways. Holy Mother just comes wherever she's most needed. Sometimes uh, in the people who say they know how it all is supposed to go in some narrow way, they're convinced that Holy Mother only appears to the pure to the well-put-together, to the innocent, to the uh, people who are rule followers and obedient. And I would say watching <laughs> Holy Mother uh, and her visitations to literally thousands of people in my lifetime that I've known personally, that she appears to those whose hearts are broken. She appears to those who don't know which way to go. She appears to those who are in terrible desperation, who are in the midst of war, who have just been raped, uh, 
who ha have watched their child die, who are without end wanting to bring life into the world and unable yet to bring life. I've watched her comfort soldiers who are in the equivalent nowadays of foxholes. I have watched her appear to those who are in duress and appear also to those who seek beauty and those who seek artfulness and those who are in the heat of creation, but that she would only appear to those who are obedient to what humans say obedience ought be. As far as I know, that teaching I have to set aside, mainly because of the fact that I see her appear to everyone in every condition possible, all the way from the most polished, all the way down to the most impoverished. Can you share with us one of her appearances that perhaps really has surprised you, or you thought, wow, I never thought the Holy Mother would appear in that guise, in that form, in that way? Yes, she has appeared to women who have had abortions. She's appeared as merciful mother holding them in her arms. I know several people, interestingly, women as well as men. The Holy Mother will come to comfort even when there's loss of life. She'll come to comfort even if some condemn a person for whatever they have done. Years ago, when I first found this to be true, I was sitting with a woman who had had more than one abortion. And she had come into therapy because she didn't feel good, but she didn't feel bad. She had a rolling anxiety about her. And so I said, well, bring a dream. See if you can catch a dream and let us see. And the next week when she came back, she brought out her little notebook, and she couldn't read the dream. She began to weep. Uh, she cried and cried and cried and cried. And, uh, I held her hand and just remained silent. And I, I said, well, let me read your dream to you. Would that be all right if I read it to you? And she nodded. And so I read the dream, and it was a dream of Holy Mother bringing her her little baby um, one by one, who she had let go to say that they were well and alive and in spirit fully and soul fully. And the Holy Mother was wearing a mantle that was like uh, made of um, the kind of fabric that you would see uh, in an operating room as green and uh, had a little hat on like an operating room hat and uh, is carrying a little uh, banner over her head that said, the nursery is still alive. So what that meant for that woman was, first of all, the cleaning out of the wound, which a mother would do. The wound had festered for years and, of course, was filled with self-hatred, opprobrium from others, any number of condemnations, cruelties, uh, coming to terms with her own decision had to be made again, coming to terms, though, in a different time with Holy Mother close, caring to even let her know that 
what she has decided has not ended the soul. It ended the body. And I was surprised. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that mother wouldn't go everywhere and anywhere, but because we're all raised in a culture that in the last many decades has been so vociferous about abortion, I wrote in the book, and I speak in Untie the Strong Woman, audio too about post-abortion compassion because that's what's needed is for Holy Mother to be holding people, to help people, to let them know they are loved, to allow help to come to that person so that they come to terms realistically, spiritually, cognitively with what has come to pass. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, of course, this is a controversial area that you're moving into here, CPE, and talking about the soul and abortion. And I'm, I'm curious what you might want to say to someone who's listening with a feminist ear saying, I hope nobody's hearing this and considering bringing a, a baby to full term when they really don't feel prepared or called to mother in that way. Well, I've been shouted down from my opinion <laughs> many times or talked over or um, told not to say that. Uh, I, I would put it to you this way. I have not had abortions, but each time I was pregnant, the person closest to me tried to force an abortion. And I was able to bring my two children to life. And I see it, however this way. If a young woman or a middle-aged woman or a man came to me and said, there's an unexpected pregnancy or a pregnancy that's arisen out of violence or a pregnancy that's come from whichever direction that is difficult or cruel or um, in any way upsetting to the person, the first thing I would say is don't panic. Do not panic. Let us think these things through. There are many, many ways to move. Let's talk first about your body, your health, your mind, your spirituality, your religiosity, your finances, everything that composes life on earth here. And let's carefully see what can be done here. And once we know and weigh everything, everything in spirit, then you decide. You decide how you will go. And I, at that point, 
they fly free. The thing that I have watched in regret in humans so many times post-abortion is that no one would talk to them. No one helped them. No one spoke to them. No one talked about all the avenues. And I don't just mean adoption, abortion, or bringing to life. I mean all the ways that a human soul is affected in every way by the fact that a person is now in a state where they may be able to bring a life to earth. So I don't like to argue with people, but I can't be argued out of my position. It is a solid one. And it's filled with love. It's filled with love for people no matter what. Our idea is to try as hard as we can to truly, sincerely be like Holy Mother. And Holy Mother, I know, would talk to us. Holy Mother would hold us and help us and not just say, this solution in this way is a solution for all parts of your enormous psyche. So different people are different. Different people have different ideas. And I think we can listen. When a woman or a man together are pregnant, we can listen to all their ideas. Theirs, not the overcultures, theirs. And then we can see from there. What is the holy way to proceed? What is the pragmatic way to proceed? What is the holy pragmatic way to proceed? If someone's listening to this and what's coming up for them is some form of grief, perhaps about an abortion that they had or someone that they knew who suffered in some way, maybe not that way, some other way, or some other kind of suffering that they might be becoming in touch with, and they want to invoke Holy Mother's blessing power, what would you suggest? The Memorare. The Memorare is a prayer that says, O Most Holy Mother, it's unto you that I flee for your protection, for your love, for your guidance. The Memorare, which means remember in Latin, is the prayer that is both in my writing of this book as well as in the audio work. And it is the prayer that I think is all-encompassing because it says, Never was it known that anyone who fled to you, who sought your protection, who sought your intercession, was left unaided. And this I believe all the way down into my bones, that if you call for Holy Mother, she will come. She will comfort you. You will feel maybe a dream will come, maybe a sudden inspiration, maybe a friend will suddenly appear. Maybe a person you've known for a long time will say something that's extremely poignant, helpful, healing, useful to you. But she will come. She will either come in person or she'll come through another individual or she'll come through dreams. She'll come through artwork. If you lay your watercolor on the page and you ask her to come, she will come. She'll come in ways that each individual can best understand her. One of the themes, CPE, in Untie the Strong Woman is this idea that the Holy Mother has somehow been suppressed throughout history and even in our world today, or maybe especially in our world today. 
That's why we need to, quote-unquote, untie her. Can you talk a little bit about that? How has she been suppressed? She's uh, suppressed by various groups of people saying it's not all right to have a devotion to the Great One who is feminine in nature unless it follows a certain trajectory. But in the majority, not at all, that one is not supposed to have a devotion to Holy Mother, that it's, oh, some ancient idiocy, that it's uh, not really real, that you must be somewhat addled if you think that that is really of consequence on this earth. And yet, you know, I've had enough of the, I create, I destroy, I create, I destroy, I create, I destroy. We've had enough of that, which is always assigned to the male aspect of God, that uh, highly creative, but also highly destructive, punishing people left and right. And yet Holy Mother, and she is represented at least throughout the world in 12 different mythologies and forms as the woman who gave birth to the child of light. A Holy Mother Mary, in the, the beliefs that the old believers of Christianity carry, is thought to have brought the child of love to light, the God of love, the God of love to balance out all of the I create, I destroy, I create, I destroy. And so Holy Mother is made small anytime a person says, we'll have to think in a certain way only, we have to behave in a certain way only, we can't allow people to love love, for heaven's sakes, we can't allow people to love that which would bend near to protect the lonely, the sick, the ailing, the flailing, the uncertain. We can't have any of that. Anywhere we find that in culture, we find Holy Mother tied up. She's not allowed to open her arms to us. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, for quite a few people on this earth, including myself, <laughs> there is no way to keep her back. There's no way. She is here. She's present, always. It's only a matter of, will you see? Will you open your inner hearing? Will you open your inner seeing? Will you open your heart? Will you open your soul? Will you let your spirit seize what it sees and rejoice in it? Now, one of the things I'm curious about is how you think it operates in people's psyche, their personal experience with their mother or grandmother, their actual experience of their biological mother and grandmother, and their openness to Holy Mother, to Blessed Mother, what the relationship is? That's a really good question. I think that, uh, first of all, as I said, being in duress often allows us to see more than just the world that's right in front of us. It opens up other avenues. And it might be because the ego is so occupied with feeling such pain that it allows other things to come through into our minds and into our hearts as ideas, as sudden inspirations. The inspiratress not only survives but arrives full-fledged in various forms, one of them certainly being Holy Mother. Many people think that we only have one mother as a biological mother. And that's true in one sense. But in a mind that can think in different levels or different layers, 
in a person that can walk in more than one world. You see that having many mothers is actually the fact, rather than having only one mother, and that one mother is only biological. So, like I tell my children, uh, so if you're lucky in life, you'll have many mothers, because uh, there is the mother, the life mother, the natal mother who gave you life and brought you to earth. That's true. But there are many, many other kinds of mothers, so that the lady lives down the road might be your mother, or a special teacher, of course, might be your mother, or an hombre con pechos, a man who is a motherly kind of man, might be your mother. And when people have good mothers, you know, that, that care about them and watch over them and help them and encourage them and uh, have a minimum of judgment, especially uh, destructive judgment, they might critique their child when needed, but there's nothing about being destructive toward the child. They, too, have other mothers besides the good mother. They might have nature as a mother. They might find rock climbing a mother to them. They might find being on top of the mountain with her cheek against the sky almost, that that is mother for them. And in those who do not have that, they will seek it elsewhere. Of course, it's like a flower that um, you cover it over with a bushel basket. And guess what? It will grow a tendril on a little vine underneath the bushel basket and try to peek out toward the sun. It will do whatever it can to stay alive. And as you know, in family life that's fraught with um, people who are disrespectful and harmful to each other, where that little vine will go to try to find warmth can be very problematical. They can go to, again, all the wrong places. And the place that we would hope that they would go as a place that is holy, sanctified. In other words, where the people and the Holy Mother who stands behind them have no agenda to exploit, take advantage of them, only to love them, only to care about them. And so the personal mother and the personal father, too, they play a part regardless of whether they are, as some people call it, good enough which always seems to me like faint praise because there's some really terrific mothers and fathers out there. In fact, most of them are, I think. And, they, you know, everybody's got an off day, but for the most part, they're doing very well. And yet, they too, they will find a devotion to Holy Mother because it is greater than, it affects a different part of the psyche. It fills body, soul, mind, spirit completely. The heart bursts open in love in return. One of the most beautiful images or evocative phrases in Untie the Strong Woman, and there are many, 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 but this is one that stuck with me particularly, is the idea of the unruined heart. I wonder if you could speak to that. Well, maybe I could put a blessing on our listeners that comes from the unruined heart. The unruined heart, I think, is something that we all carry. Um, you can feel like you're completely wrecked, as you know. We all have been down so far, it looks like up to us. But there are essential things. The soul and the heart cannot be harmed or killed or ruined. It cannot. 
I have people who have heart attacks. Their heart is not killed. Their heart is stunned, though, for a moment. And people have an ability to feel alive, even when there's weakness, say, in the body, for instance. They feel fully alive regardless. And I, I can be a testament to that because I certainly have my own uh, delicate health <laughs> that I've had for many, many years. And yet I feel fully capable, fully alive. You want to climb that mountain? Okay, let's go. Well, I might only make it up, you know, the first 25 feet. I don't know. And after that, I might be able to uh, have to rest, you know, for a while. But the spirit is always willing because it's tied to the heart. So when people have a heart condition, for instance, they're as fully alive as anyone else. Their heart is still unruined. You understand in that sense. And the unruined heart is also true for people who have great heartache and heartbreak. I mean, you feel, honestly, I set it off and my heart feels like it's made of diamond dust. It's been broken, smashed, you know, so, so many times by so many things in life. And yet, SS, still standing. SD, still dancing. This is the way Holy Mother wants us to be. I am not clear that I would be either one of those without her. I am not clear at all that I would be as well as I am, as energetic, as hopeful, as insightful, as perceptive, as creative, as all those things, if I didn't have Holy Mother constantly infusing me, constantly caring, bending near, whispering a word now and then, telling me which way might be the best way to go, all of those things. So the unruined heart, I believe, and you hear people say, you know, my heart is ruined, my heart is black, my heart is mush, my heart is, well, okay, maybe so, all those things, but you know what? It is still unruined, and it is also one of those one of those things that you can't do anything about. It's going to remain unruined. The thing is to realize it. You're going to have pain, you're going to have tragedy, you're going to have devastation, and still, and still, the heart will remain unruined. You see it in dreams constantly where people have had a huge loss of some sort. And so they drag their dreams into analysis and during the analytic session you're listening to them and to the dream and the dream is hopeful ever and ever hopeful and heartfelt and you ask where is that in you and they say nowhere and I say it has to be in you it's in your dreams dreams are the center of your psyche so at the center of your psyche is all this wholeness all this fullness all this unruined heart this is called a matar Dolorosa, the unruined heart. And it's a blessing on you. Um, it's a blessing that I wrote to um, help people who were in straits, who were hoping for better health, people who were up against a great challenge, people who were worried, which is, as you know, a spiritual illness of its own, people who were uh, hoping to connect to something beautiful, uh, but weren't quite sure. And so Holy Mother, one of her images is of her heart, 
with seven swords through it, three on one side and four on the other. And so I wrote this blessing to say the names of those swords. At first glance, you might think, oh, that must be terribly painful, seven sorrows, oh, how horrible. And, you know, Holy Mother is not Catholic. Incidentally, (laughs) Holy Mother belongs to everyone. It's just that we have a few more understandings and stories, I think, about her that we, the old believers, have handed down over and over and over and over. She belongs to everyone and to all of us. But her seven sorrows in Catholicism are related to what happens to her child of love, the God of love, that he is so misunderstood by people often, that he is harmed by people. They want to hurt him, and ultimately, of course, they do. They torture him. They literally beat him to death. And isn't that the truth about our culture, too? That those who are holy and often quite innocent, but also of tremendous purity and goodwill, that they are beaten in many ways about the head and shoulders to try to quiet them, to try to silence them. Oh, no, you can't can't bring love in here. Whatever could you be thinking, my God? That's against the rules here. We have to have competition and difficulty, exploitation, harm to others. No, no. But yes, yes, Blessed Mother says, you can see the child of love be harmed, the God of love, and it will practice resurrection. It will come back no matter what, no matter what love will return. So the seven swords, these are the meanings of each one that I've attributed just through inspiration. And I hope that you will feel blessed by this. Mater Dolorosa, the unruined heart, the swords through your heart are not the ones which caused your wounds, but rather these mighty swords of strength were earned by your struggle through hard times. Sword of surrender is one of the swords. It means the sword to use to withstand this time of learning. This isn't it true. Sometimes learning is really painful or really hard. Second sword avails to pierce the hidden meaning of this time, to cut right through all the fog, all the veiling that occludes the center, the core, the sweetness, the heart, the hope, the jewel at the center of the wound. A third sword, the sword of healing, to lance open one's own agony and bitterness, to let it drain away. The sword of new life, to cut through, to cut loose, and to plant anew. Long ago, people used their swords to plant with, drive them into the ground, pour the seed, take a step, drive the sword into the ground, plant a seed, take a step, because there used to be farmer warriors who were holy people. They used their swords for everything. Sword of courage is the next one, to speak up, to row on with, to touch others with. The sword of courage, 
to speak up with, to row onward with, to touch others. A touching, remember, to be knighted. The king would touch the sword to the shoulder of the knight, meaning you can take this blow. You can take this. You're strong. The sword of life force to draw from, to lean on, to purify. The sword of love, often the heaviest to lift consistently. This sword turns one away from war, resentment, retaliation, and instead helps one to fall into the arms of immaculate strength, immaculate strength at the center through the holy woman. So we pray, O immaculate heart of my mother, give me shelter in the beautiful chambers of your heart. Keep me strong, fierce, loving, and able in this world. Remind me, remind me daily that despite my imperfections, my heart remains completely unruined. So may it be for you. So may it be for me. So may it be for all of us in her name. Amen. Which means, let it be so. Beautiful. Thank you. And just one final question. Uh, I can't let you go without asking. How is this new work, Untie the Strong Woman, related to your classic, the bestseller, Women Who Run With the Wolves? What's the relationship? This work, Untie the Strong Woman, is a continuation of all my other works. I'm looking at the largest archetype of the holy and integral woman from many different angles. So wild woman, wise woman, holy woman. They share the same heartbeat. Um, I wrote in Women Who Run With the Wolves that the wild woman archetype is not savage or out of control, but is a natural, instinctual set of longings and knowings that's embedded in our psyches. And uh, the Dangerous Old Woman audio series, which is on the myths and stories of the wise woman archetype, is concomitant with the idea that wisdom is not a condition, it's a holy endeavor. And in Women Who Run With the Wolves, I wrote aspects that belong to Holy Mother, that a woman who is in her instinctual, intuitive nature eats nourishing food, rests in peace, follows calling, renders loyalty, loves the children, dances with joy, tunes her ears to more than just herself, attends to death and resurrection, creates love in the world in all ways, 
praised by speaking truths that will raise herself and others. And you find all these premises in all my work. Women Who Run With the Wolves, about the wild woman archetype, the dangerous old woman, about the wise woman archetype, and now, Antai, the strong woman, about holy Wonderful. I've been speaking with Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes. She's the author of a new book and a four-session audio series, both from Sounds True, called Untie the Strong Woman, Blessed Mother's Immaculate Love for the Wild Soul. Thank you, CPE, as always, for sharing light from the unruined heart with us. Thank you. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you for flying. Soundstrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.